It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, I know we've been promoting a listener show today. And I tell you what, you guys have been tremendous as far as sending us stuff to that number, whether it was texting or calling and leaving a voicemail at 205-502-4285. Mentioned this uh, yesterday. That is why yesterday's show was so late going up, but still no internet here in the studio. Today's show, we are going to uh, broadcast a previously had interview with former Auburn quarterback Jason Campbell. We originally broadcast this across two or three different episodes. It's like 40-something minutes. So we're going to have all of that in its entirety here for you today. We've picked up a ton of new listeners since this conversation. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't too uh, too time-specific. We talk a little bit about you know what it would be like not going through spring as well as um, just kind of the craziness of all things going on. Then we talk a lot about his time, you know, his, his career, and uh, a lot about the 04 season. So before we jump into that, today's show is brought to you by our friends at Fetch Me Home Delivery. You can use promo code 10OFF for $10 off your order to Chick Chick Pork Pork, Gigi's Cupcakes, or Full Moon Barbecue this week. Also, if you not if you have not used the promo code ZAC20, Z-A-C-2-0, you can use that to get your first delivery free. That is uh, on FetchMeDelivery.com or the free Fetch Me delivery app. It's free in your phone's app store. All right, Jason Campbell, former Auburn quarterback, hanging out with us. Jason, thank you so much for your time. How are you, boss? Doing good, guys. You know, uh, just trying to make it through this time right now we got going on, but uh, other than that, though, I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots of stuff in the news these days, for sure, but uh, yeah, let's let's talk a little, uh, let's talk a little football. So, I mean, you were a starting quarterback in the SEC for for a long time, several years. And can you imagine going through this process? I mean, like missing a spring as a starting quarterback. I mean, how big of a deal is that? Well, it's a big deal for teams that are. You look at like first year quarterbacks. You know, LSU has a first year quarterback. Um, Georgia, you know, the kid transferring from Wake Forest. Um, you know, not having an opportunity to go through spring with him. Um, so you think about it, this is the most turnover I've seen in a long time in the SEC when it comes to the quarterback position. You know, you got Kellen Munn, yes, he's coming back. Bo Nitz, yes, he's coming back. And then you got the kid from uh, Ole Miss. And then, you know, Alabama quarterback got about three starts last year. So other than that, everyone else is starting a new guy at that position. That's the key. That's the most key position in all the sports. And, uh, and when you think about not having a spring, you're not able to throw blitzes at this guy. You're not able to throw different looks at this guy and see how he reacts from an offensive coordinator standpoint. So at that point, you would know how to call plays and how to what gets him into a rhythm. So that part you're missing right now, and you got to try to figure that out as soon as you possibly can early in training camp. And uh, and, and that's going to be tough because right now you're still not sure how many practices you're going to get or you're going to be able to win, win full goal is going to be available but you get all 11 guys on offense, all 11 guys on defense. So right now it, it is a uh, it's a problem for teams that didn't have a spring. All the returning quarterbacks you mentioned, Jason, I think we'd all agree here that Bo would be in the top tier of those guys when you look at Auburn's quarterback from last year as a true freshman. Do you think Auburn's in a good spot because of all of this? Yeah, I think Auburn is probably one of the lucky teams right now as far as like not having to play a quarterback without knowing his skill set. Um, you know, Gus had a year last year with Bo, and now Coach Morris there, you know, just kind of off the same tree of offense. 
Um, and then they have the film to put on tape so that Bo can watch himself and then they can watch Bo and see the things that he does very well and things they want to improve with him on. But other teams are not as fortunate. You know, they're not able to do that. And uh, so that puts Auburn, to me, as one of the top three teams in the SEC that has the opportunity to win the conference and, you know, hopefully get the opportunity to go play in the playoffs. Um, I know we were, we we're trying to fill some positions up front defensively. We're trying to fill some positions up front offensively because we lost four offensive linemen. Um, but at the same time, you know, I do feel like we have some guys in place because we have a key position in place right now with everybody else kind of running and, and, and trying to find their guy. Um, because not having that screen, we do. And then we get the transfer as well from Bowling Green, who is a guy that adds depth to that position where, knock on wood, if something was to happen to Bo, this mm-hmm. is a kid that can run. This is another kid that can throw the ball and a kid that we can put in there and still keep our offense going. And it's very important that you have two guys at that position because, you know, anything can happen. And then, um, you know, I know Cam Brothers transferring, but I think that's more of using him as an athlete in other positions. Right. So, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Auburn's in a good position because the schedule that Bo had to play last year is the experience that's something you can't teach. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Yeah, and looking at that quarterback room, I mean, before, you know, you mentioned Grant Lloyd, the transfer from Bowling Green, but before him... You had Bo, and then that was the only guy with relevant college snaps. Court Sandberg played a little bit last year in a backup duty. And then, you know, uh, Shiel Garnett, a true freshman coming in. Sawyer Pate, a true freshman walk-on coming in. And then, yeah, you, I mean, you mentioned Cam Newton's little brother. But outside of that, um, Bo was the only guy that had relevant snaps. And Grant Lloyd comes in. If you're Bo and you bring in a, an older guy that, that has experience, what does that do to the quarterback room? Oh, it just adds depth, you know. It just adds like uh, for Bo, you know. I think confidence-wise, you're as a starter, you're never feeling threatened because that's just the confidence thing. You know, if you want to play at a high level, you want to have opportunity to play in the NFL one day. You got to be used to guys coming in around you that's that's highly touted guys. You know, you got to be used to them signing another five-star recruit or something. Like it just happens. You know, it's the world that we live in. That's the only position that only one player gets to play. You know, every other position, you can rotate guys in. But that position is pretty much a 90% snap position. And, uh, you know, yes, some teams will use 10% to do some wildcat things with other guys. But, you know, you're always going to be pushed at that position. And my whole thing is competition always makes you better because you never get comfortable. As soon as you get comfortable, that's when you find yourself in a hard position. But as long as you got someone behind you that you feel like, man, I can't mess up, I don't need to slip up because this kid may get an opportunity and he may go out and light it up or something. It motivates you and it keeps you going and it keeps you hungry. And I think, you know, that's something as a, as a young kid in college, that that's something most kids don't have to worry about because their dream is to make it to that next level. So that's enough hunger within itself. But at the same time, it does add calmness to your head coach, calmness to the offensive coordinator because you know you got two guys in a room 
that can play the position if something was to happen, you're still in contention because you have another guy you can plug in. Jason, you obviously played with two of the best running backs in Auburn football history in uh, in Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams. Uh, on a scale of Ronnie to Cadillac, how good do you think Tank Bigsby is going to be? Well, you know, that's a lot. That's, uh, you know, a big task for him. Uh, you know, I know he's a highly talented guy, uh, number one running back coming out of the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, he grew up not too far from there in LaGrange, you know, having an opportunity to, to Auburn is closer to him than the University of Georgia. So I think Tank has got an exceptional opportunity, though. Uh, I think he has the opportunity to make his name print at Auburn uh, just from talking to Cadillac about him, like, that he likes everything about him. And he said, I just don't say it to say, he said, the kid, man, he, he works hard. He's, he sets examples. And um, he, like, he, he's, he, he soaks up information. And uh, that's the number one thing. And at that position, everyone thinks it's all about, you know, running the football, putting your head down, busting through two tackles. But that position is very key because you got to learn protection. And you got to know how to protect your quarterback because you're taking on linebackers. You're sometimes chipping a defensive end. You know, you're having to fill a plug if uh, an offensive lineman miss a D-tackle swift move at the, at the line of scrimmage. you got to step in there and be able to stone a guy. And that's the thing when you look at Tank's size, that's something I think he has. You know, he kind of reminds me of Ronnie from a size standpoint. You know, he, he has the toughness of a Cadillac, you know, running the football. So it is a great combination uh, with them recruiting this kid, and I think he's going to add many dimensions. I think this might be you know, one of the better running backs that uh, – you know, that Auburn has had over the last few years as far as, like, you know, that toughness. You know, um, when I think about Kerry Young, he was a guy that could carry the ball 25 times a game and kind of wear teams down. When you think of Tank, you know, he has that ability uh, to do the same thing. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one-selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. When you played at Auburn, they had no issue rotating out running backs. Something that... A lot of Auburn fans, as well as college football analysts, kind of talking about what Gus Malzahn does is he likes to pick one guy and he just he just runs with him and it's worked. When you look at you look at uh, I mean back when it was Ben Tate and then you know you mentioned Carry On, Trey Mason, Peyton Barber, Cameron Artis Payne. I mean all these guys have found a lot of success. Do you think that's going to continue? And if it does, are they going to start with Tank early on as a true freshman, or do you think they may make that switch? You know, start the season with DJ and then switch it over to Tank. I mean, what are your thoughts on on Tank getting a lot of touches early day one in his uh, in his career? Yeah, I was just about to mention DJ because I really do like DJ too, yeah. and I think you do have a, have to have a one two punch at that position. Like, I, I don't think it's a guy that you can overload anymore at that position because. The pounding is just too much. You know, we saw that with carry on the year we went to the SEP championship game. It was just too much. You know, by the time they got to the end of the year, he caught up with us. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, bruised and banged up when we got to that game. So, you know, I think the best thing for Auburn is to have a two-punch. And when you look at DJ, man, this kid came in last year. He ran the ball hard, uh, you know, down the LSU game. He really, you know, showed out. 
Um, I think he's a kid that they're probably going to start with. I don't think they'll start tank over him just because they didn't have an opportunity to go through a full spring, and I think that would be kind of unfair to throw a kid out there as a starter, unless he earns it in training camp. You know, I can't say that. You know, if he earns it in training camp, he earns it. But, you know, you're talking about going out there and protecting your quarterback and, and everything. Yes, it goes along with playing the running back position. Uh, I think they probably do start with DJ and they rotate Tank in there, and then they get to a point where they use both of those guys in, in different scenarios, and, and I think that's a good problem to have. Auburn has done really well this year where we've used two running backs. And, uh, and you know, you think back to the year 2013, they went to the national championship, and had Trey Mason, and uh, Trey Mason, but you also had Nate Marshall, who was kind of uh, extended running back, you can call it sometimes because the way he ran the ball so many times, there were so many design runs for him. I don't think they'll do the same thing with both, but I think they will do the same thing as utilizing more runs for DJ and Tank. Absolutely, and you're uh, you're from Mississippi. Has it been cool for you to see Auburn take a a, a bigger push? into trying to get those top prospects out of Mississippi here in recent years? Yeah, Mississippi is one of those states, man. You look at it uh, from an NFL standpoint, we, we put out a lot of players from state state numbers um, to the NFL. And, uh, you know, it, it is, I tell people it is a source down there. These kids, they're hungry. Most of them are big, strong country kids that they love football and, you know, they, they dream it, they – you know, they they just want to be around it. And I was just like, you know, sometimes we get skipped over because, you know, we're not such a huge state. But I tell people, I do my football camp every year now, and I say, man, I see talent everywhere. And I said, you know, these kids, they they, they want it and uh, and everything. And I just, you know, you know, think that Auburn can recruit that position. I mean, recruit that, that area down there, man. I think they can grab some really, really good players. I mean, some solid football players. We've had some come through Auburn, you know, that represented the state pretty well. So, you know, it's definitely a state that we haven't recruited as much over the last couple of years of getting a lot of top talent. But I think it's a state that we definitely need to start paying more attention to in the recruiting process because there are a lot of good players there. Jason, we talked about the quarterback position throughout the conference and Auburn being in a good spot because they have an established guy there. When you look at the the abbreviated offseason that we're in now, as far as what it does to coordinators, specifically offensive coordinators, obviously Auburn has a new one with with Chad Morris, and Gus comes out and says it's going to be Chad Morris's offense. Chad Morris is going to be calling the plays. What do you think that process looks like with uh, with less practice? You know, obviously no spring. Do you kind of work it in throughout the season and just kind of go with what guys know, and then maybe it looks more like his offense towards the end of the year? Or do you just kind of take hey, give it all to the kids and say, hey, you guys got to learn this? Well, I think the one thing for Coach uh, Chad Morris is that he had the opportunity to be around the kids doing bowl practice. Yes, you know, he wasn't practicing with them, but he was able to be there and watch some of them skill set and see how they interact in a practice environment because he, he didn't get that in the spring. But uh, he got a chance to see it in bowl practice. So I think for them, they've been doing a lot of virtual, um, a lot of virtual meetings. So during those virtual meetings, they're inputting offense, they're inputting plays. And uh, you heard Steph Williams come out a couple of weeks ago and say, man, I'm so excited because this is not going to be an offense where the ball is kind of geared towards one or two guys. Man, Everybody's going to have an opportunity to touch the ball. 
And I think it makes him excited because it's not it's not gonna be as easy for teams just to double team him because the ball is gonna be going all those different places. So I do think the fact that him coming out saying that means that they're already putting in their offense as Chad Morris's offense. And adding on to things that Gus did, you know, very well and everything. You know, Gus run game is pretty good and you know, I think Chad Morris is gonna add a lot to the passing game. I think he's gonna add more concepts and, and, and different things. So get guys out of space and everything. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I do think that, you know, early on in the year it won't be as explosive as, you know, as he probably would want to get to because he didn't get a chance to input a lot of things as far as like in a practice mode where he gets to run because my whole thing about when you're when you're playing football, a lot of kids learn more through repetition. Mm-hmm. So if they make a mistake on something they easier to remember it and do it better the next time. When you're trying to just learn something about looking at a chalkboard or you're just looking at TV on a screen and you say, oh, let's go out there and do this, yes, you know, they expect you to go out there and do it, but you know you're going to make a mistake the first couple of times because you haven't repped it yet. So I do think they'll chime back a little bit starting the season but build on it as the season goes. So I think you probably know this process better than – better than pretty much anybody as far as when a new offensive coordinator comes in. You've worked under a, a bunch of them. What, what is the process? Like, what does the beginning of it look like? I mean, do they go play-by-play? Play? Do they kind of just give you a, a playbook and they expect you to know it in a few days when, you know, whenever you guys step on the practice field again? Or does it kind of vary from offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator? Do they light the playbook on fire? Yeah. The old one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't say the NFL. The NFL is different. Now, the NFL, they hand you a playbook. They say know it is amount of time before you get back to OTAs or training camp or whatever. But in college, you know, it's like this, like most of the time they get rid of the old stuff sometimes because every coordinator has their concepts and they has their things that they like to do. The biggest mistake Auburn ever made was 2003. You know, we tried to keep Petrino's offense and Petrino was only there for a year and we had success in our sophomore year. But it wasn't enough for our coaches and all them to learn his whole offense because we were just getting in the beginning stages of it. And it ain't got to the advanced part. You know, he took the head coach job in Louisville, but we tried to move our offensive line coach you know, to the offensive coordinator, and we tried to do it by committee. And that was a big mistake because then you have too many thoughts, too many things going in it. And then you're trying to learn someone's offense that you barely even know. You know, you was only around for a couple of months. And uh, and that was just tough. And then you're a first year coordinator, and that that was just you know that was hard on everyone. So I thought the best thing Tuberville ever did was say, "Hey, I'm gonna keep my staff, but I'm gonna add a piece." And that's the offensive coordinator. And he brought in Al Borges. Al Borges knew how to put everybody in position to be successful. He knew how to get everyone touches in the football. He knew how to make everyone feel involved in the game. And he made it so hard on defense because they couldn't just key on the run game. They couldn't just key on the passing game. You know, whatever you tried to do better, we did it. Whatever you tried to defend, we would just attack the other part of you. And that's an offensive mind concept. That is a gift. It is a gift of art to be able to design plays in the first half to set up things in the second half. You can't just call plays. Like, you have to, it has to be an art to it. And I think that's the reason Chad Morris, he's been successful at Clemson. It's because he had an art of doing that in Clemson and uh, and everything. I know he got the Arkansas. He was the head coach, so things were a little different because he wasn't the true play caller. He had to be the CEO, 
and now he's back to play caller, so it'd be interesting to see. But you can forget kind of the other playbook, but since him and Gus is from that same tree, I think a lot of Gus' run game is going to stay, and I think a lot of his passing game will probably change. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like that answer. That was great. Um, my last question for you: We, you, you've brought up your NFL career uh, a few times and how your time in the NFL is different. Um, you played for the Redskins, the Raiders, the Bears, the Browns, and the Bengals. Um, those are those might be the five worst run organizations in the NFL. Um, yeah. Was that intentional after a certain point? Were you just like, I'm just going to go? Because, <laughs> I mean, the Browns were the fourth team you played for. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, it was tough, man. Uh, you know, in Washington, every year my numbers went up, even with all the chaos, uh, you know, going on around me. But at uh, the same time, you know, yeah, I enjoy living in D.C. Uh, then I go to Oakland. You know, Oakland had a winning quarterback since Rich Gannon, and I go 12-7 and seven as a starter. And the first year we're 8-8. Eight and eight. And I started 12 games and go 8-4. And then the next year, um, you know, we played – next year we start off 5-2, 4-2, and 5-2, and, and, and I break my collarbone. And, uh, you know, next thing I know they traded someone while I'm in surgery, so you learn really quick about the NFL business and you thought it was all about, hey, we need a winning player to get there. You have to change their mindset and, and trying to show leadership to win. And things are going that direction. They still make a trade. It just blows your mind, and then it doesn't even get better after that. So, you know, then you go to these other teams, man. It's just like chaos. You know, I'm coming from Auburn, where I'm used to like winning. And then, you know, Washington. We had two years we went to the playoffs, but then you go to Oakland, and then you're trying to win, and we're turning things that used to be bad, and now things are going good. And then also you get that real tough money again. So it was just kind of like a yo-yo and. uh you know, I wish I could have got an opportunity to be with a coordinator for a lot longer uh, and not have to go through so many changes because even after 10 years in the league, I got offered to go back and play at least another two, three years. I was just burnt out. I was burnt out from having to learn all the offenses, dating all the way back from college to the pros, and uh, it just kind of wore on me a little bit. It kind of got tired, and I just didn't feel like having to do it all over again. And uh, so I just decided the time was to move on and do something else in life. How many coordinators did you play for, Jason? Ooh, if I had to do a resume, I would probably say this be four in college. Uh, four different in college. I mean, that is 11, crazy. Yeah. 11 different 11 offenses? Their, yeah, 11 different offenses out of 14 years of football. So. Which one do you think pro. fit you the best? I think the one in Washington uh, when I was under Al Thunder. Uh, just because it was a big arm type offense, and I was only got opportunity to experience a little bit of it, and it hurt my knee. Yeah. Uh, but I would really probably say the one in Oakland. Um, I had a lot of success in Oakland. Uh, I know Hugh Jackson did do very well at Cleveland, but in Oakland, as the offense coordinator, he did an outstanding job. You know, we was putting up a lot of points per game. We was scoring almost thirty a game, um, and then you know, we was putting up over crazy numbers. Uh, we was top ten in almost every category. Uh, the two years that I was out there and then uh, and everything. And I feel like that offense fit me because it kind of reminded me of Harvard. So we had a lot of big receivers at Oakland and we had a lot of fast guys. I was in Washington, it was a lot of shorter guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't many big guys like I had in Oakland. That's what I was used to in college. You know, Courtney Taylor, Anthony Mitch, being over my mind, Devin Aroma, all these guys were 
you know, is tall guy, you know, and uh, they can go up and tackle football. And that was the difference between Washington and Oakland. I felt back at home in Oakland because all my receivers were 6'2", 6'3", you know, big receiver guys can go get the football. And that makes a huge difference in a lot of ways because, you know, when you're playing against those defensive linemen, there's some of them sit seven and sit six and, you know, coming at you, you know, to be able to still see your target and uh, and everything and, and not have to be so accurate with the football when you have a shorter guy with a bigger DB on him. You got bigger guys, there's more room for error. You can kind of put a ball up sometimes and just let them go and get it. Who is the best wide receiver that you ever got to play with? Uh, man, that's a tough one. I know it. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, Santana was a really good receiver. He's fast. Uh, he can run um, and everything. I, I had him in fantasy receiver. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Santana, he, he's good. Uh, <laughs> Brendan Marshall was a guy that I was around in Chicago. Yeah. That, uh, man, this guy, man, he could, he could go get a football. Mm-hmm. Like, his attack on the football, uh, along with his size, just kind of separates him. Like, I've seen him just beat up DB. And, uh, you know, because his size was so big, but not only that, this guy could attack the football. And his, he had hands just like, uh, like once the ball hit his glove, it just stuck. So I would probably say, you know, him, him and uh, Santana at that, at that level was two of the better guys that I played with at position. When was the last time that you threw a football? <laughs> uh, I was preparing this year to, to throw down in the spring for the uh, the, the, the – throwback oh, game yeah. last year I coached and I was offensive coordinator and uh and everything but this year yeah I was prepared to play a little bit and uh, of course that got wiped out so I started to pick up a football about a week um into March I said you know I want to go out there and just see because people have these high expectations no matter if you've been out of football <laughs> five years they expect you <laughs> Thank you to see it throw a football. I said, even though it was a fun game, I was like, they expect something. So I was just like, man, let me start throwing a little bit of a football so I don't embarrass myself. <laughs> That's probably the last time I touched the football. Is it like riding a bike? Did it come back pretty quick? Uh, something. Uh, not maybe throwing it so far down the field, but yeah, throwing the ball within five and ten yards. Yeah, that was pretty good. How far can you but throw? Throwing the ball down the field, you got my arm sore. How I had to guess now. I still, I still can, if I had to go back and play in the NFL, I can still throw it and still be successful. Um, I can still probably throw it at least 65 yards, 70 yards in the air at my age. I still can have good velocity on the ball if I wanted to go back and like and do that. But you know, those days long gone. I'm not even thinking about it. But it's just just to let you know, like, yeah, I still have, a, so, still have enough arm. So right now you can throw it 55 yards in the air. What could like I, I guess at your strongest, how far could you throw it in the air? Well, back in the day, I threw it. I think it was like seventy-seven yards one time. Uh, somebody got me at um, out in practice uh, in the air, where it goes in the air and where it falls at. Um, so that was you know that's pretty strong. And there's a couple of games in my NFL career. Uh, you know, people look back at two thousand and gosh, I want to say two thousand and eight. You know, we playing the Saints, and uh, he had Santana Moss. I think I threw that ball about 60-something yards in the air on the post route for a game winner. Um, so I've had a couple of games where I'd launched some before and, uh, and everything, which was pretty fun. <laughs> but I bet. Uh, I, I bet that's, like, the best feeling in the world. <laughs> and then, like, once it connects, yeah. and, you know, you, you end up winning the game because of it. 
All right, yeah, we had a couple at Auburn, you know, with Devin and Roman should do, hitting him down the field. Uh, you know, I'd probably say my biggest moment, though, that I really enjoy. Yes, I had a couple game winners in the NFL where people go crazy, but I'd probably say, man, in college, um, that LSU game just always sticks with me. Because yeah. we weren't able to – people don't realize how hard it was. Because we weren't able to practice outside that whole week. It was a hurricane week, Hurricane Ivy. So kids had left campus. They had already – set school down so we were staying at the conference center at the time and uh we did walkthroughs every day we did walkthroughs bachelor room walkthroughs bachelor room film study all that so friday came and they still hadn't decided they were gonna play the game yet until thursday thursday they announced that the game would still be played so then friday we actually got some sunshine we went outside we did a walkthrough and it's kind of a jog through practice but then <laughs> the next day is the game and then we played the game. You know, LSU was defending national champ, and they were still loaded that year. I, I believe on that field, there was some crazy. They said like almost thirty guys that played in that game was played in the NFL. Yeah, and it felt like that. Like it was a bloodbath, uh, hit you in the mouth type game, and it was one of the realest football games I ever been a part of. And uh, I felt that game honestly for like two weeks after the fact. I was glad we had a lesser team the week after because my body was still beat up before we got to Knoxville to play Tennessee. And, uh, man, I just remember that crowd going crazy. It just showed you how experienced our football team was. That's when I knew we had something special. Because, yeah. like, we didn't practice outside, but guys knew how to study and prepare and connect and take it from the practice field, I mean, take it from the film room to the field without even practicing that week a full practice. That's when I knew I said, okay, we have an experienced football team. Because most teams can't just do that. And LSU was able to do it. We was able to do it. It was a knockout drug out. We win the game at the end. And uh, and to me, that kind of charmed the moment for us that knew that 2004 year was going to be an awesome year. Yeah, we were talking about that game a few weeks ago. We were doing um, a list show, like the top 10 most clutch plays in Auburn football history. And, of course, that 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 last drive, I mean, definitely made it on there. But that was – that's one of the most physical games I've ever watched. I can't imagine playing in it. So, I mean, I totally believe you when you're like, yeah, two weeks later, I'm still feeling that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about, man, that's some hard-hitting guys. You know, LSU was bringing a thunder. You know, Saban at that time, he loved to blitz you. Mm-hmm. And it was 4th and 12. And uh, I remember Coach Borges, he said, look, they're going to come with a blitz. It's going to be an all-out blitz. It's going to be blitz zero. So he said, we can't have you in the pocket. So he, we have to move outside the pocket. He's like, so we're going we're gonna to run a sprint pass, and we're going to put combats on the outside. So they're going to be in man coverage. And they expect, when they expect to bring zero blitz, they expect it to be a short pass, like a slant or something, because we did it earlier in the game. And so when they brought us all that blitz, we was in a sprint pass, so we used to protect it. We knew they were going to bring one more that we could block, but they brought it from the, from the boundary side. So the corner came. So but we sprinted to the right. And as we sprinted to the right, uh, um, I just remember Courtney Taylor getting into his route. And then I kind of knew where he was at, but I knew I was about to get hit. I knew I couldn't hold the ball, so I ended up letting the ball go just a little bit sooner. But to the outside, um, where we practiced that, where I kind of felt like where he would be able to put a little air on it so when he come out of it, he could adjust to it. Because if I throw a hard rocket, then he's not going to have an opportunity to see it out of his break. So I just put a little air on it. I mean, I remember just getting whacked. And uh, I didn't even see him catch the ball or anything. I just remember hearing the crowd just go crazy and uh, getting up and 
started ref signal for first down and uh and everything and then we got to the situation where it's now it's third down and time is ticking you know everyone can hear rob Bram. you go back and hear the replay of course i couldn't really feel the time as you can hear the replay yeah and at the time it sounds so intense on the uh so intense on on the listen to him when i look at the when i listen back but on the field everything just felt so calm and you know, Cadillac was sprinting out to the outside. We sprinted them out to the left. We went empty, and we did that on purpose because we were trying to spread their DBs out in the safety so we can attack the middle of the field. And the play was designed to either go to Ben or go to Courtney. And we called it double stick nod. And uh, so my job was to watch the safety, try to pump the safety to Ben if I could, and then go to Courtney to beat the, to beat the slot guy. That's exactly what happened. You know, Ben did an outstanding job. Ben actually opened up that route for Courtney. Because he ran his route so exceptionally well, it drew the DB with the quick pump towards Ben. He went for Ben and left Courtney in the back of the end zone in the split. So it was a great play design by our coaching staff. And, uh, man, that was just an awesome moment and, and, and everything. There was so many clutch plays. Like you said, there was so many clutch plays in that game, man. The run by Ronnie Brown in the fourth quarter was huge. You know, the catch by Cadillac, you know, was huge. Um, so it was just so many play after play that everything that went that wouldn't have to go for a touchdown. Even though it was a 10-9 game, I could point out about 20 plays in that game that was big-time plays that's between the line of scrimmage that people don't really pay attention to. When you look back and, and talk to – I'm sure you talked to still several of those guys from, from that team, that 4 team. You already mentioned your, your relationship with, with Cadillac. Does it ever talk – do you guys ever talk about or, or think about, you know, it, the fact that it's crazy that that team is not seen as a national champ? Oh yeah, we talk about it all the time. We never understood how come we not claimed as national champs, and uh, that thing just didn't vacant. I said it's not like there wasn't a team that was deserving and honorable. I was like, you did everything that we supposed to do to play a national championship game. I was just like, our SEC won the next seven after that, mm-hmm. and uh, our football team kind of changed the mindset of how the playoff system is. Um, that's when all the playoff talk started. Was because that year it was us, Utah, and. Oklahoma and USC, and there was four undefeated teams and uh, and everything, and that's when the whole conversation got going. And of course, you know, like five six years later, they end up cementing the playoff system. So, you know, we definitely feel like we changed uh, we changed we changed uh, the game uh, from a playoff standpoint to give more teams an opportunity to to compete for a national championship, but. You know, we've seen Alabama claim national championships and, and everything that wouldn't even have lesser teams than what we did and uh, and everything. So it would be an honor, you know, to be to be signified as one of the great teams, man, because we were one of the top 50 teams, I think, in college history or whatever, or top 100. I think we was like 50-something. And, uh, you know, I'm a little biased. I think we should be higher. But at the same time, you know, it was a uh, it was a exceptional year that I never forget. My teammates and all of us, and we have a special bond. All of us still communicate. We all still talk, and uh, you know it, it was a fun, it was a fun year. Yeah, I uh, I always forget that no one won the national championship that year. <laughs> that uh, that just didn't happen. It's tough. Yeah, right. right. And that just and that's just saying like that's just. It makes no sense, you know. So, so you would be uh, okay with 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 Auburn coming out? If Alan Green came out and said, "Hey, we're now claiming the '04 season as uh, national champs," you you guys would be okay with that? 
sure, we definitely be okay with that because the whole thing is like, why not? You know, like, why do we feel like we got to be punished for for doing something we're supposed to do? You know, for going out and creating, like, if people don't notice, that's when Auburn started getting a lot of huge recruits was after that season. Well, I mean, you know, half of y'all went in the in the first round, so you know, I'm sure all these guys wanted to wanted yeah. to play at Auburn. Yeah, so you know, we kind of changed the recruiting process at Auburn. Yes, Auburn is always a good recruiting team, but our classes will always be ranked like 15 to like 22 or something in the nation. But after that year, Auburn classes was mostly ranked top 10, top 10, top 10, top 10, and that's because. You know, I hear a lot of guys say, hey, man, I came to Auburn because watching y'all back in 04 and, you know, like, y'all was one of my favorite teams, one of my favorite players and everything. And even when I was in the NFL, guys would come in, you know, I'm seven years in the league, like, man, I used to play with you, you know, on college football, NCAA and everything. And <laughs> y'all was one of my favorite teams. I was like, thank you for making me feel older. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was it was that way. And, um and everything, and you was like, wow, you know. Yes, Auburn has always been a great football school from the Bo Jackson era to, you know, early in Stan Nitz when they had a great team in 93 and, you know, and everything. And But for whatever reason, when you were playing on more TV games at that time, you know, and more internet at that time, you know, we kind of kind of set the stage a little bit for, for having high-end recruits that, that come there. And, uh, you know, I've had many guys say that, you know, back in the day when Cam and I used to know each other a little bit, you know, he was, a, he was, you know, we would get together early on in my pro career when he first got in the league because he wanted to know more about, you know, the pro level and everything, Daphne and all of that and everything. So it made me realize, like, man, these kids really watch everything you do. Now they really watch everything you do because of Instagram and everything else that's going on. Did you uh, you know, there when when Bo Nix was named the starting quarterback, all these pictures came out of like him celebrating the 2010 season with with Cam. Uh, did you know Bo <laughs> growing up? Was he around the program when when you were quarterback too? I didn't know Bo growing up, but Bo told me when I first met him. I walked up to him and I like, "What's up, Bo?" and everything. He's like, "Hey, what's up, Mr. Campbell?" And I was like, "Dude, no, I'm not talking." So, what's up, Mr. Campbell? He's like, uh, "Yeah, man, he was one of my favorite teams, man." Like I. I used to watch y'all all the time. He's like, man, I used to be glued to the TV when you were playing and, uh, and everything. And, you know, knowing his daddy, you know, Patrick, you know, who I know well, is, uh, was kind of unique, you know, to hear him say that, thinking like, dude, it's 15 years later. So that means <laughs> at that time, you had to be about three. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, uh, and hearing him talk about being glued to the TV at that age, it kind of reminded me of when my dad, my dad was a coach. And uh, I was always around the game as well. So it kind of reminded me, he said that, like, no, I believe it because I was glued to the TV as a young kid and glued to anything my older brothers and anything did in a sport because that's how I was because I was always around it. And my dad was always studying game tapes at home on teams and everything that we had to play. So it, I learned study habits at an early age for like, preparing for the NFL, I mean, preparing for, for high school ball and college ball. like So it wasn't a foreign language to me. So I can relate to both in that aspect of understanding, understanding, having that, that understanding. When guys on the team are going to wear number 17, 
do you uh, sit him down and give him a talking to about like <laughs> you know not to uh, besmirch the your uh, besmirch? Yeah, your your you know that's a. I don't know. It's a sacred number. Here. I'm sure he says to not besmirch it. Okay, I'm sorry. sure he says that. <laughs> I tell you what, 17 is a special number. It's a dear number to my heart. Uh, I always, you know, like guys wear it. And I always kind of look and see like who's wearing it. For whatever reason, I see more receivers wearing the number than, than quarterbacks and uh, and everything. So I just like. You know, when I look out on the field, like, hey, that one seven looks pretty good. That's a good number. Um, but you know, my intent when I first came to Auburn was to wear seven. People don't know this. Uh-huh. I uh, came to Auburn on my recruiting visit. I had on number seven. Uh, that's what the number I wore in high school was number seven. I was on seven football and three in basketball. So I was recruited to come to Auburn to play both sports and. I was supposed to play both sports, and then, of course, after the football season was over my freshman, my freshman year, of course, Tuberville come to me and tell me, well, if you want to compete for a starting job for the next four years, you need to be out here with your teammates. And I was just like, well, dude, you promised me I could play both sports. I like, I love basketball. It was my first love. Basketball was actually my first love before football. And uh, so I ended up just having to let that go. And then Dancy was the other one because Dancy was supposed to be playing basketball with me as well. And uh, he was coming off the state championship the year before, and my team was 29-3 and three or something that year, and we got upset it. So I ended up uh, just, um, you know, like I said, sticking to the quarterback position. But at the same time, when I do see guys wear the 1-7, I just want guys to understand that when you wear that number, man, you go through some things, but you keep going, and you persevere through some things. You don't just stop and everything. And I just want guys to know, like, man, this is – you know, even when you were like 24 and the 23, you know, the reason 34 is retired as a high, two is retired as a high, seven is retired as a high. But there's other guys that had intentions to be high. I finished seventh my year, um, but it's because I shared the ball a lot with running Cadillac, neither one of us was going to win the high. And that's just the way it was. We was perfectly fine with that because it was all about winning for us. And, um, uh, and everything, so we knew it was impossible to put up crazy, crazy numbers because we split the ball up so much and uh, and everything. But to just be in the finalists and, and on the top ten list and everything, it meant a lot. But at the same time, I don't think people realize how much you have to go through from all the stuff I had to learn to be where I ended up. And uh, I just want guys to take pride when they wear that number and work hard and, and talk as less but work as hard and let your – let your talking, I mean, let your walking do the talking for you by how hard you play. And even when it's good, you play hard. Even when it's bad, you hang in there. You know, you just keep going. So just understanding the history of the game. That's why I tell guys, man, you've got four years you're renting that seat. And the four years you're at Auburn, what are you going to do with those four years in that seat that's going to make you be cemented in Auburn history or what's going to make a difference for the guy that's coming behind you that's going to take that same seat and he's got four years to rent that seat. So you got four years to do something special and to make history while you're there. And uh, that's what I always tell the guys. You know, just look at it as an opportunity because it doesn't last long. It's quick. Jason, we kept you uh, We kept you a bit longer than we thought this morning. Thank you so much for your time, man. We really, really appreciate it. What are you up to these days, man? man I do a podcast show um, called Believe in Auburn, B-L-E-A-V, uh, Believe in Everything Auburn. Um, and so I do that with Taylor Beth Davis, who's an Auburn graduate as well. 
So we cover everything in Auburn. Uh, people who want to go to our podcast, Instagram is jcampbell17. Twitter is uh, capital JC, um, lowercase am, underscore 17. So, man, I'm just trying to stay in the game as, as far as soaking up knowledge and getting it out to people. And uh, I do radio stuff, and I also do, like, and I go around speaking to high schools and everything uh, during football season. But I'm also a high school coach here at John Creek High School. I do quarterback, so I'm a voluntary coach. But those are some of the things that I'm into now and uh, working on trying to get into some real estate. So, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, just be more active and do some things I really like. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this again soon, man. I appreciate you guys. Have a good one. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to locked on college basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait, find locked on college basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.